The next train to Tangent City departs in one minute. This is an unlimited service that may stop at reviews, spoilers, and swearing. Passengers traveling with young or conservative travel companions are reminded to read the show description before embarking on any journey to Tangent City. We wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land we are recording on in Perth, Western Australia. The Wajuk people of the Noongar Nation. We wish to acknowledge their continuing culture. And pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. G'day and well... (laughs) (laughs) What a dick. Carry on. G'day and welcome to Tangent City. Uh, my name is Lewis. Sitting across from me is Catherine, and sitting across the pond is Nick Roberts, who I'm sure that uh, anyone who's listened to Diz Down Under uh, for a while would recognise his uh, his dulcet tones. Uh, Nick, how's it going, mate? I know it's uh, you know, it's eight a.m. here in Perth, and it's uh, one a.m. there in Old Blighty. How's things going? Oh, I mean, it's very dark. Uh, it's it's late. But this is this is kind of my my hour to just podcast and stuff. This is where I like to do it because everyone's asleep and my brain seems to be functioning the best uh, as just just before I go to sleep. So you've caught me at the the right time, I think. At the podcasting hour, just be- <laughs> it's what it should be known as. Yeah, I've got to apologise if I do cough uh, during the show. I woke up this morning with a, bit of a sore throat. Cat stuck a thing up my nose just to make sure it wasn't the old uh, uh, COVID. Um, it is not. Uh, I did get a, a flu jab on uh, Tuesday, and uh, yeah. maybe it's the. You don't need to apologise from him. He's literally half a world away. Yeah. So it's. Uh, <laughs> but, but so, to be fair, to be fair, I mean, you know, when I'm when I'm listening to any of your podcasts, you know, every time Lewis does anything other than talk. Uh, so like if he breathes too loud if he coughs too loud if he sneezes too loud cat's cat's right which i mean as a as a good producer that's what you would do so you know it's not wife nagging it's notes exactly it's 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 professional it's being professional that's that's what it is yeah um but I, i i just looked actually and it's almost um it's almost a year since I was last on Tangent City, and that was to talk about uh, Jurassic World Dominion. Ah. Oh, yeah. I was trying to think what the last thing that we talked about was, and it's really funny that it was another Chris movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I hadn't even thought about that, yeah. That's very true. It's a, Yeah, because the reason we're not doing the, the waffle intro that we usually do is because we've you know, got something specific we wanted to talk about. But before we talk about that, there was one thing that um, came up just before we came on air. Um in that uh, Nick Roberts is your, like, stage name, effectively. Um, yeah. And uh, Kat mentioned that I used to have a stage name for a very, very long time, um, which ironically was Nick Lewis. And, uh, wow. And it was N-I-C-L-E-W-I-S. So it was, like, the same Nick as the way you spell your Nick. Um, so, yeah, and again, it was one of those things where when I was um, performing, and I put that in, in inverted commas, um, I just wanted to have, like, a different kind of character like like to have a character so you could you know be you but not be you if that makes any sense oh it a hundred percent does and uh I, I yeah really when i started podcasting i think initially i just kind of did it under my own name and i was like i actually don't really think i want it to be under my my own name um the roberts actually comes from my middle name ah. so my middle name is robert so 
but obviously if you add, add an S to the end, it kind of sounds like a surname, or it mm. is a surname. Mm. So um, that that's where I created mine. So where did the Nicholas come from? Was that just a, a, a Nicholas Cage thing? or No, no, it was actually like uh, my friend uh, Nick Prisgrove uh, was like the, the funniest person I knew um, and had never been a performer. He was an artist. He, he drew, but he never performed. And so I was like, um, yeah, took on Nick as a homage to him, really. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Wasn't there a there was a Nick Cave reference somewhere? Oh, it was also um, uh, when I first went to the Laugh Resort, which was the first comedy club I ever went to. <clears throat> got very involved with them. Uh, are you getting teared up, or are you getting no, no, <laughs> it's, it's flammy. I'm getting flammy. Colin Bay bit from Colin Bay. The um, Malcolm Dix, uh, one of the first com- Perth comedians I met. Um, he said I looked like Nick. Uh, Nick Cave because I had uh, long black hair at the time and um, so yeah I was like oh I call it he kept on calling me Nick and so I decided when I took my stage name it would be Nick but it would be N-I-C not N-I-C-K because of Nick Prisgrove but fun fact I was so I had no idea that his name was actually Lewis until like we got together and we went out for breakfast didn't we yeah. and something came up I think Don brought it up he's just like you know that's not his real name I'm like going I just slept with someone I didn't even know his real name <laughs> That's so All weird. Been there. <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, I mean, I say that. I mean, I'm sure most normal people people have, but I'm not exactly normal. Um, but that was weird yeah, because, I, like, I was so used to calling him Nick. It probably took a good couple of years before I started calling you Lewis. Yeah, because I actually did. Which is weird. With his parents, only knew him as Lewis. Yeah. At one, one yeah, point. of course. <laughs> like, why would they? Why they know? The, the weird thing is, like, my nickname uh, from friends uh, that I had for a long time was soap dish which i've still used oh, on occasion. Yeah. i was wondering where that came and from where did that come from mm. um so <laughs> it's from a it's from a 90s cartoon called the tick which is like a it was like a superhero spoof it's it was based on comic books but in one of the episodes they went undercover and they were going under pseudonyms and he's a bit dumb a bit dim not <laughs> yeah. very quick-witted and they asked what his name was and he was just looking around the room, like the reception area, and he came up with Nick Soap Dish. Um, <laughs> and I just thought it was really like stupid. So, um, but but the, the, the problem was that what would happen when I would go to uh, my friends' parents' houses because we all lived at home at the time. This is like early twenties. Mm. Everyone knew me as Soap Dish. Like uh... some some friends' parents never knew what my first name was. They only. <laughs> And I would, they, they would just refer to me as Soap Dish. They wouldn't say anything else. It seems very Even British. Even when I told them it's not my name, they would still call me Soap Dish. So, <laughs> yeah. People would. It was, but it was funny when I reverted back to being Lewis Sutton because when I was doing um, uh, uh, Unscripted the Film Show or what it was at the time, mm. um, I was Nick Lewis on that as well for, for many years. Mm. And then at some point I just went, no, no, I'm just going to be Lewis Sutton from now on and just revert to my real name. And my co-host, uh, Rachel, was going by West. And so it was Nick Nick Lewis and West were doing the show. And it, I think she might have reverted to her real name before I did I'm mine, not sure but, what the timeline um, was. Yes, yeah, so we both went to our real names and then it was just a, a, a lag of people like catching up on, you know, what to what to call us. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, it's all it's all very it's all very weird. Uh, but it's not it's not uncommon. My um, two two best mates uh, both would have at different times gone by different names. Uh, my mate Jason went by e- DJ Evac, so a lot of people were calling him Evac in his life. And uh, sure. my other uh, mate um, Eugene, who does the outro to all of our shows, um, 
he decided he wanted to go by Alex. And so a lot of people call him Alex, but we still call him Eugene. So, um, yeah, it's the, the double name thing. It's just, uh, it's just very common in our world. I mean, I've got an even worse story. Um, and when I was so, I went to see the film E.T. when it got re-released in like the mid 80s. So I must have been about three or something. I loved the film so much that I decided that my name shouldn't be Nicky or Nicholas, as I was called at the time. It should be Elliot. (laughs) I went to uh, the the play school uh, the next week after seeing that film and said to all the the, teachers and stuff, my name's Elliot now. And I kept that up for about three days. Nice. (laughs) Commitment. Yeah. Well, at that age, I think that's, that's pretty good. But uh, yeah. yeah, I reckon three days in a row. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. that age, amazing. <laughs> um, but no, thank you, thank you for having me on. I mean, it's always uh, a pleasure to to talk to you guys. Obviously, commitments, time differences, and stuff like that means that we don't get to talk too often. But there's also not much for me, you know, really to kind of get involved with, except for certain you know, things that happen, mm. like what we're going to talk about today, I guess. I, I never got, because uh, um, I said we weren't going to do the waffling intro, but we did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the, we just did, no, we did yeah. a proper intro, then we did we doubled yeah. up on the intro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the- Tangent City, because <laughs> double intros is double sweet. No, that doesn't really work. <laughs> no. Uh, you work on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, we wanted to get together to talk about Guys of the Galaxy Volume 3 that uh, dropped a couple of weeks ago. And I haven't mm. listened to your walking movies yet on uh, on Guardians. Uh, so I don't really know what your opinion is of the film. So it's going to be um, nice for that to, to, to come out uh, during the course of this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kat and I have seen Guys of the Galaxy Volume 3 twice. Um, and um, we've got to preface that by uh, we did have our dog Abby uh, on her kind of deathbed the first time we saw it, mm-hmm. and then the second time we saw it, she had had passed, and I think that had a a dramatic effect on the emotions of the film. Um, but uh, yeah, so we, we've seen it twice. We've uh, you know loved the film. We thought it was uh, was uh, amazing. Mm. Then this week we were like, let's go and watch Guys of the Galaxy Volume One and Volume Two again. So we watched Volume One and Volume Two, and even though to get the full Guardian story, you need to watch Volume One, Volume Two, Infinity War. Endgame, I guess, to a point, Thor, Love and Thunder, mm. um, the Christmas special, and then Volume 3, you can still get the story pretty much with just 1, 2, 3. Yeah. Did you find that? Yeah. I mean, that the, the stories that are told <laughs> in the actual Guardians titles are the, the things that are pivotal to the character arcs. Mm. The stuff that happens to the side is is good to know kind of stuff. But I think, and there are some things, particularly in Endgame, um, in terms of the emotions and the bonds that are formed between some of the characters. But I think that, you know, you can quite happily just sit down and watch one, two, and three together and, and not worry about the other stuff too much. There is, there is one plot point though. If you don't, if you don't know, Gamora got thrown off a cliff and died mm. and then got, well, they do mention in three that she got died and replaced. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it is. It's, but it's it's kind of in passing because I think the the assumption is that most of the audience that are watching Guardians of the Galaxy three yeah. have probably at least seen uh, Infinity War and Endgame, 
uh, and possibly the Christmas special, which would have also kind of glossed over that a little bit. Oh, yeah, because there is um, a good um, a release of pivotal thing in terms of the Christmas special and, and finding out that um, that Peter Quill and uh, Mantis are yeah. related. True, yep. Yeah, that was, I think, I mean, I quite like the Christmas special, uh, sort of holiday special. Mm. Um, I was the only one. My, my, my wife, she didn't like it. Uh, my daughter didn't like it. Oh. Um, although my daughter doesn't really what, uh, hasn't, isn't really familiar with Guardians, so it didn't really count for her. Um, but I, I think the problem is, like, I enjoyed the, the holiday special because I knew what it was supposed to be, which is kind of like a, a homage to the, the Star Wars mm. holiday special, mm. the, 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 the Lost Fabled. Mm-hmm. Star Wars holiday special, so it, it it was what I expected it to be, but it mm, I can see why people that was thinking it was more kind of pivotal to the films may not have uh, enjoyed it. But that's quite you can quite easily gloss over the holiday special, except for uh, the, the the plot point about uh, Quill and, and Mantis. That's I wouldn't say it's 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 super important. Like it, I, I wouldn't say they're going to too much detail about it in the, in the third film but it's obviously referenced a few times so i guess that's kind of good to know going into it but um I, i've also seen it twice um i think did, did you, am i right in saying the second time you saw it you saw it in d-box yeah correct okay um oh yes because you yeah i heard you talking about it afters and you said it wasn't uh quite as uh uh, as exciting as some of the other films that you'd seen in D-Box. Yeah, just the movement um, wasn't as great. Like, it was good, but it wasn't as good as um, the Spider-Man titles. Yeah, I think... I mean, I, we've, we've talked before, like, I don't have D-Box where I am, but I have 4DX, which is very similar technology, mm. uh, just a rival company. And sometimes, especially when I go and see films in 4DX, I actually think they've kind of programmed it a bit too hard. Ah, um, uh, yeah. Like I, when I, I saw Top Gun Maverick and I saw uh, Amateurville. Was it Amateurville? Uh, Poltergeist, sorry, not Amateurville. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> the, the original Poltergeist last year. And both of those films, I like pretty much fell out of my chair multiple times Whoa. because of how vicious like the chair was moving. Like I don't, It was great fun, but mm. it's not fun if you've got a drink in your hand or something. No. Can, you turn, um, can you turn down? But, would- yeah, I've only seen it. I, I saw it in IMAX 3D the first time and I saw it in regular... Uh, TD the second, um, but yeah, Lewis, as you said, um, I have a little podcast called Walking Movies, which is this weird thing where this man uh, walks around in public, uh, talking and filming himself, uh, talking to himself into a microphone uh, <laughs> about a film he's going to go and watch, and then I do the same on the way back, talking about the film that I just watched and kind of giving it like a a, a really crappy review. <laughs> Because uh, I'm not an expert like uh, like Lewis. No, I'm not an expert. Um, but I did I did review it on there uh, a couple of weeks ago, and now I've seen it twice, and I think it's always good to see a film uh, twice. Um, my feelings haven't really changed. I think it's the it's my second favourite Guardians film, and only because I think Volume One is almost as close to perfection. Um, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, mm. you, you can kind of get mm-hmm. like it's so much I love about that film, um, and I didn't re I haven't re- rewatched Volume Two for quite a while, and I had intended to leading up to go and see Volume Three, I just didn't get around to it. Um, but I remember, the f- especially the first time I saw it, I did walk out of there a bit deflated, a bit a bit disappointed. Oh, because I think the the bar was 
for, for both me and my wife was mm. set so high by the first film that it almost had an impossible task mm. for us going in because you, you've got to be better than that film. And generally, like, the first film in a series sets the groundwork mm, mm. and then you kind of build up. Yeah, but you always got to have that middle child. Bother. Yeah, God, God is in bother. It just went like that straight <laughs> from the start, right to the top. Um, so it's not a bad film, but I certainly feel it, it lacks quite a bit of what made the first film so, so good. Um, but I think this film is the perfect way to finish this this trilogy of films. Mm. And I think the as far as the Marvel Cinematic Universe goes, the the Guardians films are the best trilogy in in the the, the universe because um, there isn't a miss in any of those films. They're they're all um, just absolutely amazing films, mm. and they yeah they're ones I guess like Iron Man one two three didn't deal with Infinity War, uh, Captain America didn't deal with that either, um, Thor did, but, you know, didn't really deal with it, um, you know, in the same way that Guardians does. Like, the stakes in in Guardians are bigger than they were with, with Thor, Love and Thunder, I thought. Yeah. And mm. I think that Thor, like, his was more the emotional side of it mm. rather than dealing with the actual fallout. Yes, yeah, uh, I guess that's a... Four, that's four films, not not three films as well. So yeah, true. His trilogy would have been uh, Thor, Dark World, and Ragnarok. So yeah, but do we really count Dark World? <laughs> I mean, I I saw it again quite recently because mm. my my daughter wanted to watch. She has only watched like a handful of Marvel stuff, but because she was learning about Thor in school, uh. she wanted to see. <laughs> I mean, the original, you know, the the actual <laughs> mythical, the Thor, actual not the Marvel version. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she wanted to see the film, so uh, and it was just as Love and Thunder, I think, was coming onto Disney Plus. So they they rewatched the 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 first three films, mm. uh, and I mean, I just can't find anything positive to say about Dark World. Like it is such a boring film. Well, it was filmed up the road from you, so there there was that. Yeah, and, and I mean, even that doesn't interest me. <laughs> like, I I like I like watching films and going. Oh, like the other day. Um, I think it was Fast Six was on on TV when I was just uh, hopping around the channels, and it was the bit when they were driving through London and you see like Piccadilly Circus mm. and the, mm. you know the big lights and everything like that, and that's cool because I spent a lot of time around there. I could recognise some of the streets and obviously recognise Piccadilly Circus. So st- seeing stuff that I recognise, I've lived in or I've been around is great. Mm. But even and I used to spend a, a lot of time in Greenwich, so uh, in the park. So I should. I've been really excited, but I was just like, this is so boring. <laughs> Why are you so boring? And, the, and I think the problem, as you kind of like alluded to, Lewis, is that there's obviously been a few either trilogies or in Thor's case, you know, quadrilogy, quadrilogy. <laughs> um, of superhero films. But there's there's always a bit of a duffer, isn't there? Like mm. Iron Man 2 isn't mm. great. I, I'm a big fan of Iron Man 3, which I know is controversial in itself, but I, I don't think Iron Man 2 is very good. I don't think that the first Captain America is that great. Obviously, Winter Soldier is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, and Ant Man and the Wasp. I, I'm I'm not actually sure which one of those is the worst. I think it <laughs> probably is Quantumania. But I, for me, but they're not all great films, and that's the thing. Whilst I think, although I don't feel Volume Two is up to the standard of one or three. 
it's still much better than the worst sequels in other trilogies, if that makes sense. So yeah. I think yeah. I, I can't argue that Guardians is is the best trilogy of, of Marvel films. Mm. No, I don't think that there's necessarily been a clean trilogy that's been just amazing every single one because each movie is designed to serve a certain purpose, I guess, and tell a certain part of the story if they've got an arc plan. And also they're designed to tell a story within the MCU as well. So, you know, you've got the stages that they're going through and so they've got that purpose to fill as well. Mm. So... Overall, not a great movie, but it told this story, and that's kind of what has to happen. Yeah, and the other thing with just just you saying that just kind of like made me think of something else. The other thing that makes the Guardians films different in their trilogy is those three films are about the Guardians. Mm-hmm. Like all the others, you know, Captain America, uh, Iron Man 2, we get Black Widow, mm. and we get War Machine um, in... Thor Ragnarok, we get like you know the Gladiator Hulk and a, and a few other characters, but all the, all those other sequels uh, or threequels all kind of tie into the bigger running storyline that's happening. Whether that's leading up to another Avengers film, whether that's leading up to a, a new big bad that's going to be featured in another film, they've all got kind of ties. Whilst the Guardians films, the the films themselves are all completely siloed off. There's yeah. no real, uh, other than like post-credit scenes, arguably, but the main stories mm. themselves, they're about the Guardians and nothing else. But that is something that works really well for that. But when you look at um, Dark World, it was that was something that didn't work, was that it was completely cut off from the universe in many respects. Yeah, which I think just kind of, that's another reason <laughs> I think why... Uh, James Gunn like deserves the plaudits mm. because the other thing as well, and, and you could argue that this could be part of the problem, is that for most Marvel films, they do have different directors, right? Mm. Yeah. So Thor one, Thor two, Thor three, mm. each had a different director. Mm-hmm. Uh, Captain America uh, one was directed by I think Joe Johnson. Mm-hmm. Then the second one was the Russos. Mm. I can't remember who directed Civil War off the top of my head, but do you know what I mean? Like, so then you've got slightly, you've got like a guidebook. This is what we want the film to do. You have your scripts and everything like that, but it, you've got somebody's trying to put their own stamp on it as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think sometimes that can affect things. No, Whilst and James having Gunn has written these films, directed these films, he's the whole package. Mm. Yeah, I think having that consistency is really important. Yeah, and that, that's the thing we've always um, said about the Star Wars sequels is the fact that you had one writer-director doing the first one, one writer-director doing the second one, one writer-director doing the third one, and it was kind of like there was no consistency to those three films. Like, it just it was really disjointed. Whereas with The the Guardians, you had um, James Gunn, he had his vision, he decided what he was going to do with his three films, and he did that. And it, we almost lost out on that because of, um, you know, some old tweets of his resurfacing and, mm-hmm. and Marvel, you know, uh, firing him ostensibly. Um, and it was good that they, they came to the realisation, no, no, I think we've been rash here and and brought him back and then like you see what your know, brilliance he's brought and in between that he's gone to dc and given us one of the best dc films that they they, they did in that uh, snyder kind of verse can't argue the, with the, that the, the bar was quite low though wasn't it 
you know, in the grand scheme of things, that wasn't a particularly high bar he had to jump. Mm. You're absolutely right, though. I think Suicide Squad is probably my favourite DC film. Absolutely. I can also understand why people don't like it, they like DC films, because it is very James Gunny. Yes, yeah. Um, but I think it worked really well. Um, but yeah, I, that's it. I mean, I, I am quite a big defender of the Star Wars, the, like the, the second Star Wars trilogy. No, the third Star Wars trilogy, isn't it? Um, but I completely understand that having three directors and... I mean, initially it was three directors, wasn't it? Yeah. J.J. Abrams came back again. But why was there not a a, a guide? Why was there not like a, a, a production Bible mm, mm. Um, of this is what we want to achieve over the three films? Mm. You know, it felt very much like... Um, you know, uh, I can't remember what a party game is, but it's where somebody will write a line down. Oh, yeah. Of like a story, and then you pass it to somebody else, and then somebody else has to write another sentence. So you yeah. only see yeah. the sentence before you, you don't see the sentence before that. Right. And that, to me, is almost like how they made those Star Wars films. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like there's, you know, and I, so I, do lo- I, know I do like them. I do generally like them, but they could have been better than they were. And the stories could have been better than they were. Yeah, yeah. But it was, I mean, as I said, like Guardian shows you what can be done if you get that singular voice and they do it well. It's different if it's they got a singular voice and it's shit. Um, but uh, when he does it well, they it, it just plays off. So and, and it was, these are films that we're going to go back to time and time and time again mm-hmm. and still see new stuff in them. Like when I was, I watched Guardians 1 and 2 heaps of times and I was like, oh, didn't notice that before when I watched it this time. So it was really good. Well, going back to the whole thing of watching a movie twice when it comes <coughs> out, the thing that I find is that in the first time that you're watching it, especially when it's an anticipated movie like this one was, is you're like, you see the trailers and so you've got a bit of an idea of what might happen. And in my mind, um, haven't got the spoiler bell, but I think it's probably pretty clear that we're going to hit all the spoilers. Um, I thought this was going to be the end of Peter Quill. I thought we were just going to see his demise. And, you know, you see that um, scene of of Nebula carrying him out. And I thought that was a beautiful little furphy. Mm -hmm. And then you actually hit the moment and they actually get that out of the way very, very quickly. They're like, hey, he's just drunk. I... I, um I talked with um, a friend of mine yesterday. Uh, we recorded, uh, we've attempted to record a podcast about it ourselves. Huh. Um, I haven't checked the quality yet, so it may not even be publishable. Nice. Uh, but I would say it is. But I, I made the same point in that I'd only seen the first trailer. Mm-hmm. And leading up to this film, you heard them say, you know, James Gunn said, you know, this is the last one. This is the last one I'm going to write. Obviously, I'm off to DC, blah, blah, blah. Um, the cast were all prepared to move on. You know, Batista had kind of said, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for what I've done with Drax, but I'm, you know, happy to, like, say this is this is it for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm moving on. Um, other cast members had made similar comments. And, you know, so, so knowing what information, knowing this is going to be the last film in the series, you do think, and I, I walked in there thinking, who's coming out of this film alive? Mm. Because I just assumed not everyone would make it. Because if they're not going to be doing more stuff with those characters, why does everyone have to make it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I saw that same shot in the trailer of uh, of Nebula kind of like cradling Peter with the Guardians all kind of like walking towards the screen. And as you say, like that is is done and dusted within the first couple of minutes of the film. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's such a good red herring, really. Yeah. 
Yeah. And and that's what I quite enjoy about it is that you go and you watch it that first time and you've got that feeling of anticipation and wondering what's going to happen. And then that second viewing, you really get to get into recognizing the subtleties that you see on screen. And then you're going to, you know, watch it probably thirds and fourth times um, at home and you'll pick up on other things that you miss. But it's, I quite enjoy that idea of going and watching it that first time and just um, like getting that bit out of the way and then going back into the cinema and watching it and getting the the subtleties, as I said. But that was a beautiful thing that no one died. Like he managed to carry this movie out and like not kill off any of the characters. So the potential to see those characters in other in other properties or in more Guardians of the Galaxy property is is likely. Yeah, and I yeah, I think that was my my big shot from it as well, because I thought at least one, and it, I was I was thinking it's probably going to be somebody that requires the most work, so it's it's not going to be Rocket or Groot uh. because they're animated anyway, so it's going to be a Gamora, it's going to be a Nebula, it's going to be a Drax because they're the characters that require like hours of makeup and mm. it must be really uncomfortable for them. Um, so that's that's what I'd assumed, and the fact, like you said, that that. That doesn't happen. Well, because you uh, have that moment, great. so you get it out of the way. So we know that it's not Peter that gets killed, or not in that moment anyway, because yeah. he's he's just getting carried away because he's drunk. And then you have the moment where Rocket's shot, and they go through that stage, and that's where the move. Well, the story really kicks in. Of it becomes Rocket's story, and then you think, oh my god, it's just going to be Rocket. And then there's a later on mo- uh, <coughs> moment where Drax gets shot. And he doesn't get shot once. He gets shot twice in the chest. And you're like, oh, my goodness, it's going to be Drax. This is going to be so yeah. sad. And it's just – it's horrific because you spend the whole movie just going, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? And then I think Nebula got shot as well in that same moment that – or in that same scene that Drax got shot. She, she also got an arrow in her chest at the very beginning. True, very true. true. <laughs> and yeah. so the whole time you're like, it's going to be them. Oh, no, it's going to be them. And it was interesting the journey they took us on with that. So this was a, a problem that I had the first time I saw it, mm-hmm. and it's my own, it's my own problem, right? I appreciate it's my own problems. I'm not saying it's it's necessarily a James Gunn issue, but it, it was all those things you just mentioned. The bit when Drax got shot, when he got shot once, I was like, okay. Then he got shot two or three more times. And I'm like, oh, that they've killed him. What have they done? Mm. And then he wasn't. The, the The problem for me was, as I said, and he's on my. Uh, my own fault is thinking oh this person's going to die now oh that's happened that person's going to die now mm. and it didn't happen because you're you're used to films having that formula and especially if you know it's the last film in the series you're expecting deaths to happen yeah, yeah. so but, they, but my problem with it was they the, the, like with the with the Drax thing especially that for me was over the top mm. for him to like not have any real major injuries but to have been shot by quite powerful guns multiple times, I was like, well, that's a bit, that felt a bit cheap. It did. That they'd gone to that level to make you feel that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it kind of did. But then in the second viewing, there was something that I had missed the first time was where Rocket gets shot. Mantis also has her arm snapped. And yes. in that moment where Rocket's getting the Medipack put on him, they put one on her arm. And in the first viewing, I interpreted that as she was holding like a controller for the um, Medipack. 
but it was actually healing her arm. I didn't pick yeah. that up until the second viewing. So I guess right. they just chucked a Medipack on Drax and he was right as rain because he didn't have the the issues that Rocket was going to have with the, the internal wiring. It was uh, yeah. it's it's interesting as well because when you go back and you watch uh, volume one and two, uh, the frozen in space trope uh, comes up a lot. Like in the first one, uh, you know, uh, Gamora is free- getting frozen in space. Peter jumps out and saves her, but calls the Ravagers so that they save them both. Mm-hmm. Um, in the second one, uh, the when the uh, mutiny happens, a bunch of Ravagers get like shot into space and freeze to death. So you see all these floating bodies in space, very creepy. Um, and then at the end, Yondu literally freezes to death in space mm-hmm. and then yep. so they they like you know foreshadow like that and it, with peter it's like that last gasp moment uh i've got to jump from the ship that's blowing up onto nowhere where it's safe they did it like such a smart ass with his like okay i'll go get this air tube yeah. and i'm just gonna propel myself across yeah and then he's he's making it he's making it, he's making it and then he just gets like knocked slightly by a bit of rubble that you know in space because of no friction anything forward momentum is gonna push you back and he's like oh no i'm i'm, I'm dying in space now but in the back of my head, I think the first time I was going, where the hell is Adam Warlock? And then, but then his face was expanding. I thought his head was going to blow up. And I thought, no, they're going to kill him. But then, then <laughs> he gets how saved. graphic is it going to be? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so that's, that, that's another problem mm. I had. So as you say, we've seen that exact same thing happen three times. Why in this one? did his face start to get really huge and expand as if his head was literally about to explode when it felt the same amount of time or roughly the same amount of time as it's happened in two previous films. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Again, they seem to kind of over-exaggerate it to kind of like put you into a full sense of security that that's what was going to happen. Even though you knew if anyone was going to survive this film, it was going to probably be Peter. So... (laughs) But do you know what I mean? Like, I, I just, I didn't like the way that they over-exaggerated it on this one. I felt it was quite cheap. Because like, he's going to die. And it's like, no, no, he's not. And he comes back down. But I did like the, did that look cool thing? Like that ran through the movie. Mm. Like every time someone did say, did that look cool? <laughs> I thought it only happened yeah. twice. No, I think it was three times. Okay. Because Groot was the first one. Ah, uh, um, Yes. I can't remember the second one and then the third one the, was... The second one was Mantis coming in on the... Um, what were those big dudes oh, with the teeth? Uh, the Chloraxians or whatever. <laughs> yeah. They well, they're, they're the battery eaters. Yeah. Big dudes with teeth. <laughs> That's their official name now. <laughs> um, I think there was, there's another thing about um, seeing this film twice, which I think has been... Du- I've certainly seen it been discussed quite a lot um, on, on the internet since the, the film came out. And that is the fact that uh, you know this film is is it's Rocket's film. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's about uh, Rocket's story. We finally find out where Rocket came from, how he came to be. Mm. And although you saw bits in the trailer, I don't think you got to see or got a, a real good understanding of of how much that was going to be in the film. Mm. And I know I've I've seen some people say they walked out. I've seen some people say they don't plan on on watching it until they can watch it at home, so they can like fast forward bits if it's too intense for them. I I, I thought it at times was a bit much the first time I saw it because of seeing it a second time and and kind of like knowing where the film goes and you know the fact that it's not all kind of like doom and gloom. Mm. Um, 
I, I, I was able to enjoy it a lot more the second time around. Hmm. But I do think they maybe should have been a little bit more forward with that because animal cruelty does seem to be a big trigger for a lot of people. Oh, definitely. And it was probably one of the reasons that we struggled so much, particularly in that first viewing, because you've got this raccoon that's, um, you know, like he's like he's a character. He's a he's a real person in this in this story. But he does have that cuteness of being like a little puppy dog. And so, you know, you've got this animal that's frothing at the mouth and, you know, we've just been through two years of Abby having seizures like that hit hard, Mm. like real hard. And so like and just that hopelessness of having an animal in front of you and not being able to help it. But in terms of the stuff that he went through and the cruelty that he faced, I didn't, I think because he was so, um, uh, what do you call it where someone's been like humanized? Um, like where you, um, oh gosh, I can't think of the word. Yeah. Cause, uh, and so because like he was, he, he was on face value, very cute and animal like, but he spoke like a person. And so for me, what he went through was probably no different than what Wolverine went through in the, um, the experiments that were carried out on him. And so it was, for me, it wasn't easy to watch, but you're watching a movie and I know that, I mean, it's, I don't want to sound flippant about it because I understand that people care and people are going to get triggered about different things, but I didn't really see it as um, something that was necessarily portraying animal cruelty as being okay. I think it, it portrayed it for what it was. And, you know, I think that a lot of people hopefully will come out of that having that renewed sense of like, oh, how are my cosmetics tested? How's my shampoo tested? Let's get some more of that stuff in there rather than worrying about how much animal cruelty was shown on screen, which I think that it was actually shown in a way that highlighted the problems, but it wasn't too graphic. And it wasn't glamorizing. No. Which is the other thing that you could possibly have a complaint about. Yeah. I mean, weirdly, the most uh, vocal people I've seen on social media about the animal, uh, you know, how they treat animals. And and I mean, I hate even when they say, oh, you know, I I wasn't a fan of the cruelty they did to the animals in the film. Like, they're CG. They're not actual real animals they're designed to look like real animals they're not actually real animals like yeah. no animals were harmed in the making of this film yeah um but most of the people that have, have been up in arms about it aren't vegetarian aren't vegan mm. so that always makes me laugh because i think the assumption is and obviously you know you know i'm a vegetarian mm. is that um they're, they're quite militant and they'll be quite forthright about animal rights and you know this that, and the other mm. but the the people that seem to be the loudest about this film happily like animals every day with like so like there's a certain irony there i think i think so yeah i agree uh, with that (laughs) i haven't really taken stock of who has been arcing Mm. up about it but um there was some conversation at work um from people that hadn't seen the movie yet and it was like oh like i've heard that it's got a lot of animal cruelty in it and it's like well it it does but it's it's about the story it's about like you know this is where rocket comes from and you finally get that backstory because you've got this character like why did no one raise this when you've got a character that you know that he didn't choose to get all of those like implants that first scene that we see him with his um like 
not shirt, his little vest thing that he wears, um, when he goes to the, um, what's the jail that they go to um, in the first volume? I can't remember. Just Nowhere. No, 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 no. no, no. There's no, the, um, um, it's called the something. <laughs> oh, yeah. gosh. That's so, oh, gosh. Um, but, you know, when they're getting processed there and you see just how much pain he's in through having those little gadgets on his back, the um, little implants and things, and that moment that Peter sort of looks at him and just goes, oh, shivers, that's, that's, that's heavy. And so yeah. you actually get to find out where that came from and it's not a great place. Uh. But as um, Lewis put it really eloquently the other day, it's terrible that he had to go through that, but he is one of the most brilliant minds in that universe. And if you if he hadn't gone through that, then there's a lot of stuff that never would have happened. But I, I, I tell you, no, no. the um, Chidwadi as the high evolutionary, and if you'd seen The Suicide Squad and Peacemaker, you would have seen this actor before. He's done a brilliant job of being the most vile, despicable villain in the MCU has ever seen. And this is a this is in a universe where a guy snapped his fingers and killed half the universe, half of all existence. Hmm. Um, but this guy is just appalling. It just uh, there's no no redeeming features to this character whatsoever. Um, but it's a uh, yeah. It was he he did an amazing job. I was just like oh, I, I was just sitting there just loathing him the whole time through the film. Um, but that's the I can associate between the the character and the actor. <laughs> sorry. Oh, um, right into Mike that time. Sorry. Well done, Lewis. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, 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 you, no, you're right. That's I mean, right. Our, our hearing was, is recovering. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. That that was my kind of takeaway as well. Is the fact that yeah, when you've got someone like Thanos and you think where'd you kind of go from there mm. you know he was such a a bad bad guy and then you get this guy and you're like wow they they, they found a way yeah. <laughs> there's still ways of doing it so i mean i thought i thought he was great i mean i think in in terms of like the new additions it's hard for me to really count cosmo because no, she's not... such a, a kind of side character in yeah. the whole film yeah, it's a shame. And, and Cosmo's been there so since... little that I, I don't really. She's in the film, obviously, but I don't really consider her like a, an integral part of the film, like no. I do uh, High Evolutionary or Adam Warlock. Yeah, um, they are, you know, much much uh, bigger characters in the film. And I, I have, I think I've said to you before, like Will Poulter who plays Adam Warlock. I've seen him in films for a long time. I think he's a great actor. I've always enjoyed him. I loved his take on a character that I'll be honest, I don't really know too much about. I know who he is, but I couldn't tell you any famous comic stories that he was ever in. Mm. Um, But I loved (laughs) the way he was brought into this film. I loved the way he played him like a big baby. Yeah, Um, (laughs) It reminded me of, um, of Rocky from Rocky Horror. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, it's a fully grown man, but it's it's literally just been born. Yeah. So it's it's quite clueless, of, you know, trying to figure out, you know, literal baby steps <laughs> the, as it goes along. The interesting thing, though, the uh, the comic version of Adam Warlock um, is a highly intelligent 
character who gets shit done. Um, and yep. he was integral to the original Infinity Gauntlet storyline. So Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity Crusade, Infinity War. Um, when they actually got the gauntlet off Thanos, he broke up the, the gems and gave them to different people uh, to look after. And they were called the Infinity Watch. So it was Adam Warlock and the Infinity Watch. So he's a really pivotal character in the, the Marvel comic book universe. Um, and to see him here, the only thing that's the same with him and the comic is the look. He looks similar. Although in the comic, I think he had longer hair, but gold guy, uh, gem on his forehead. Um, but it's yeah, it's not the it's not the Adam Warlock I knew, but I didn't mind that it was a different character. I, I think the other thing with the Guardians films is that, and I I still remember being in a car driving somewhere, reading the story that Guardians has just been announced to to be turned into a film. Mm. It was that and Ant Man, Edgar Wright's Ant Man, and James Gunn's Guardians were announced <laughs> at the same time, and. She said, what's Guardians about? And I was reading it. I'm like, well, apparently there's a talking tree and a raccoon. <laughs> uh, I don't really understand. And I was like, this is going to be the first flop. Based on that synopsis, this is going to be the, the, like the, the first flop. And Guardians, very few people seem to know what Guardians of the Galaxy was before that film came out. Well, And I know I from seeing comic book versions of the characters, in fact, I just, just a few days ago, they're, they're releasing a new Drax the Destroyer action figure from the comic books and he looks absolutely nothing like Batista's version yeah, of yeah. Drax. So I know all these characters are quite different to their comic book versions. Well, the original Guardians of the Galaxy that I collected was actually set in the future and the um, there were uh, some characters like the Martin X, the one that um, uh, Michael Rosenbaum plays, the guy with the crystal face. Um he was in the, the com- comics I read, um, and there was... <coughs> My apologies, I'm sorry. Um, there was... Um, yeah, so th- some of those characters they brought into just as side characters, but the original Guardians of the Galaxy are very different to this version, and this version is from the early 2000s. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it was one that wasn't like a, you know, a hit comic that everyone read. It was a real left field kind of a a decision um, to go with this. But that's the thing. James Gunn, if you look at his slate for the DC movies, it's um, like not the, you know, not the biggest characters. I mean, he's got Creature Commandos or something like that in there. He's got, got some real left field kind of choices, but he knows how to work with left field characters and make them watchable. So, it's, uh, yeah. I think the I think the problem with um, when when you got comic book characters in general, especially like DC is probably the best example of this, is that everyone knows who Batman is, everyone knows who Superman is, everyone's heard of Wonder Woman. You know, these are all kind of like really big characters that have kind of just, not just even just gone past comic books, but also you know gone into other medium as well. How many times do you want to see? a Superman origin film or a Batman origin film or a Wonder Woman origin film. Like these are stories that we've seen in films, in TV shows. They're really popular characters, but there's all these different characters that they could take a punt on mm. and tend not to. And I don't know if this is the reason why, but it was certainly the reason I thought they were doing this in the first instance is, and, and, and this is a bit left field to so bear with me, but 
with with Marvel, like their biggest characters are like Spider Man, Captain America, Thor, the characters that we saw in those early films. Mm-hmm. But they can't do anything with them in their own theme parks because in North America, the rights of those characters are held by Universal, and any characters represented in the Marvel land at Universal can't be used in another theme park on the same coast. Correct. So yeah. I think like past the Mississippi, yeah. which is why Disneyland can do its own things. Mm. So the thing is. Disney were having all this success with these Marvel films, couldn't do anything with the characters at all. Mm. So they had to like then go, well, okay, well, what characters can we actually use in our theme parks? You know, what characters aren't shown, uh, aren't represented in the Marvel land in, at Universal? And then mm. we started getting, oh, well, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Ant-Man, uh, Black Panther uh, isn't there. So then all of a sudden, they, they found a way of, I'm not saying that's the only reason why they did it, but I think that is part of the reason why. Because it allowed them to try and make these characters mean something and therefore be able to sell a load of merch and be able to do a load of stuff however they wanted to. They weren't restricted by legacy licensing deals. Mm, That's true. And like being able to capitalise in a way that people can... That's the thing is that... Guardians is accessible because the music itself has so much nostalgia and the attractions that they've popped into both coasts have had a massive musical influence. And we know that, like, you know, for all its misgivings, the Aerosmith um, attractions are fun because they've got the music element and it's fun, it's loud, it's there's there's something about the music that's used. And so being able to use music from really similar eras, I suppose, and chucking it into another attraction with popular characters now, it's quite mm. clever. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. And I think, I mean, I remember walking out of the first Guardians film. I'd seen the trailer for it. I was looking forward to it because I was still full into Marvel films. My wife didn't want to go and see it because she had thought she'd had enough of that stuff. Mm. So I went to see it alone. And I came home and she said to me, oh, you know, what was the film like? And I said, I think I've seen the new Star Wars. Hmm. And I didn't mean in terms of it was going to have this big, expansive universe. Mm. But what I mean is, and Lewis, I'm sure you'll, you'll kind of understand what I mean here, is when you saw Star Wars for the first time as a child, you, you'd never seen a film like it. Mm. Like it had everything and it had things that you'd never seen before Mm. all these special effects that you'd never seen before all these weird aliens and and characters and spaceships and action adventure excitement uh scary situations and to me the first guardians could have been that for a whole generation of kids growing up that was their first kind of example of something like that because it, it was not a superhero film well, I know it is, but it's not. Yeah. Really, it is like Star Wars. It's like a, it's more like a, a space opera than than a superhero film. So I think that combined with, like you said, the the the, the use, the clever use of music um, in those films, and the way that they have created those songs uh, based on a Walkman, and then latterly a early MP3 uh, device. I love that. I think it's it's genius. I think it's. I think it was really smart to do. And, you know, people like those soundtracks. That When Guardians came out on Blu-ray, I'd ordered it, I pre-ordered it, it came in the post, I said to my wife, we've got to watch this film now, because I think you're going to love it. We watched the film, she went on to Amazon, she ordered the soundtrack, came the next day. Mm, yeah. 
because like she, she, that that was it. She saw it for the first time, and she watched that. Fi- and I've never seen her do this. She watched that film three or four more times that week. Wow. She never does that. I've never seen her do that with any other film hmm. that she's just seen for the first time. She just it just ticked all the boxes that she wanted from a film. Um, and that's why I think that was, although it wasn't like obviously a, a, a huge box office hit in, in, you know, the Marvel cinematic, you know, universe terms. Um, I think it was a really important film because mm. I think the people that were starting to get that fatigue at that time from just seeing the same old heroes in a slightly different story, then all of a sudden had this brand new set of characters that yeah. we never seen anything like before. Yeah, it was, and it was that rewatchability is something that, I mean, I still pull it out. If we're in a plane and I can't quite get to sleep, but I'm kind of a bit dozy, but you know, you got all this movement around you. I chuck that on the background and I'm asleep within probably half an hour. And you do that thing where you, it's probably like when a kid goes to sleep in someone's arms, like you kind of wake up a little bit, but you know where you're up to and stuff. And so you just doze back off to sleep. I'm just like, it's amazing comfort food, that movie. I just, I, oh, it's the only way I can describe it. Yeah. I love it. Absolutely love it. And it's just one of those things that has got that, it's just a little bit of everything. It's got the action. It's got the the right movie soundtrack in terms of like the, the, um, you know, the songs that are used, but the score itself is quite, quite rich mm, as well. Mm. So I, I love it. The, the, um, we talked about how, like, this is a bit more of a dark Guardians uh, film and there is some real emotion, uh, heavy emotion to it, but it's still a lot of levity to the film as well. There's, uh, you know, the, the scene where they go to that uh, organic planet and, uh, you know, that's where you see Nathan Fillion's face for the first time oh, in, a, yeah. in an MCU property. Um, I, it's, it's good. I'm... It was enjoyable. I'm just—it's a shame that they're not going to use him more in a bigger role. Uh, but um, yeah, it was great to see him in in there. It was very, very, very funny. Um, so that whole sequence was was fantastic. But yeah, the whole crux of the story was like, yo, we've got to save Rocket. We've got to find this um, doohickey to to make sure that uh, you know we can use the med packs on him and heal him. Um, so it's a you know, fairly kind of simple quest story, but yeah, just done really, really well. And um, the only downside, of course, is that uh, that that's this is the last of the James Gunn Guardians films. But I'm sure we'll see the Guardians in the future. Just won't be the Guardians that we know now. Yeah, who's to say he won't come back? I mean, he might go. Oh, you know what? DC was fun, but let's make another Guardians movie. Maybe, maybe. I mean, time time will tell. I mean, I think absolutely for the next five years or so he's he's definitely not going to be doing much else other than the dc stuff mm. uh wow that light came on really bright you know never say never i guess is mm. is is the phrase right you know who who knows what might happen um i think so you, you talked about the, the third one being like the uh the darkest one of the three and i think the the perfect example of that is the fact that in Guardians 1, you have that kind of like short opening, but then you get the introduction of Star-Lord. Mm. And you see him, you have him dancing around to the music. You know, it's a perfect introduction to that film because you're getting the music, you're getting, you know, the kind of, getting a vibe of what mm. Star-Lord is like as a person. It's a great introduction. Yeah. The second one elevates that because it has that massive 
uh, battle with whatever that, that weird that was sluggy, yeah, the, the battery, you know, giant alien <laughs> thing is. Um, and they all get their moments of shine while they're trying to take it down. But you see the the guardians as a team kind of working. Mm. But it's and again set to like a real you know kind of upbeat song. And then this one, you get a very melancholy, you know, Dawson's Creek, One Tree Hill <laughs> style vibe to to start the movie off. And you're like, well, this is not the Guardians that I know. No. And I think, again, that's something else that kind of sets the stall out early that this, this isn't going to be the same as the others. I mean, really, it is the same as the others. Whilst it's dark, it's still got just the right amount of humour to not make it feel alien yes, to the other yeah. films. Rewatching, I think the balance is really good. Yeah, no, I think that the balance is important and I think that the nostalgia that runs through the movie, like there's little bits in the previous two movies that, like you said, you get that repetitive thing of people going out into space and what the effect of someone being exposed like that might be and those sorts of things. But there was a little bit of foreshadowing as well. We've got that bit in the volume two where Gamora is on Ego and she falls over a cliff. (laughs) It's just like, oh, too soon. But there's also that beautiful moment at the end of – is it at the end of volume two or is it at the end of volume one where you've got like the tiny little baby Groot End, End of volume one. 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 Um, no, no, no. Where like Groot's like really tiny and he's falling asleep. Oh, that's two. That's yeah. two. Yeah, he's like kind Number of like one. He's in the he's in the plant. Yeah, pot. yeah, yeah. And so the bit at the end where I think they've that's sort of just doing that bit where they're flying off and um, you know, he's a bit <laughs> tired, so he's with Gamora, and mm. then he reaches out to Drax, mm. and he actually falls asleep on Drax's shoulder. So you got that foreshadowing of him in that father role as well. It's just like. Wow, they they really knew where they were going with this, and I little, think little nuggets, yeah, uh, little crumbs. <laughs> yeah, I really really enjoyed yeah. watching those those movies again after watching the third volume and just going, oh, look at that little nod to, oh, I see what they're doing there. But I think ultimately one of the things I was really really happy with with the ending is that it was Mantis who had just been this side character really for so long, and really did just go along with what everyone else was doing was just like oh look i've actually got this capability and i'm going to go off with my battery monsters (sighs) and (laughs) go on adventures on my own see you guys and even with drax going no 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 you and i like you know we're a team she's like no definitely doing this on my own catch you later and it was just like the way that they broke the team up was actually pretty cool hmm that was the that was the bit that got me. Mm. Um, I was, you know, I, I think again because I was expecting someone to die. I thought, oh, that's that's probably going to make me cry. So I was prepared for that, mm-hmm. but it wasn't that. It wasn't, in, you know, all the kind of fake out deaths. Like none of those actually got me for a second thinking, oh, they're they're actually going to do it. Mm. Like I didn't really believe that's how Drax was going to die. I thought like, it can't be that, and the same with Peter. But that bit there where they all kind of like come together and Star was like, right, I, I'm I'm actually going to now try to see if I can find any of my living relatives. Mm. And they start to split off. And that was the bit that got me because at that point I'm like, this is, this is it. We've had three films, a special. We've had the appearances in, you know, the, the three or four other films as well. Mm. 
And this is going to be, you presume, the last time you're going to see all of these characters together and in some cases ever see these characters again. Mm. Like, I, as much as I would love to see a Drax and Mantis spin-off Disney Plus show or something at some point down the road, it probably won't be with Dave Batista. Yeah. Or Pom. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it will probably be a different version of those characters. Mm. Yeah. So that that was going to be it. And that was when I... That, that bit got to me. That's when... I started to get a little bit of a tear yeah. because I thought, man, it's been a, it's been a great journey. The band's and breaking up. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like it's like seeing the Wiggles break up. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen so many iterations I, of the Wiggles. <laughs> well, I, so sorry to go off track, but yeah. the problem is because um, because of my, my my neurodiversity, I often go down rabbit holes, and I went down one the other week about the Wiggles, and I had no idea. That some of those guys are like like knocking on seventies door and are only just kind of like retiring <laughs> from the group. Uh, I just thought they just changed them out every couple of years, but no, the the main Wiggles. Some of those guys have been there for like over thirty years. It's insane. Yeah, because there's what was it? Anthony Wiggle was one of the ones that stuck around right from the beginning. Was it Jeff that left? Who had the heart problem? I, I think might, it might have been Jeff. Yeah. yeah. My, my um, Wiggles, Your Wiggles knowledge, knowledge is, is, is not strong. No. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, my I've s- never seen an episode of Wiggles. <laughs> Louie, I can talk to you about that for a whole podcast episode, but, <laughs> but Wiggles, I've got, I've got no idea. <laughs> not a couple of the songs, that's it. My sister took her daughter to the Emma. I don't know what her name is. Emma Emma. Memma. I said, what the, What is with that stupid baby name? No idea. Anyway, they um, took her to that and um, and she was just grooving in the aisles. I thought that was pretty cute. But um, one of the things with that character is that she does a lot of sign language. And one of oh, my cool. um, one of my colleagues had, well, at the time his grandson was probably about, probably about three or four. And he's done some cheeky things around swearing before. But one of the things that he started doing was sort of, trying to do a bit of sign language but what he because like you know when people sign they often either speak or use um or um lip um sorry what do you call it like not mime like gestures no like they they um uh like so your lips are still moving so he wouldn't be talking but he would actually be mouthing fuck (laughs) while doing these little hand gestures (laughs) because he wasn't saying it (laughs) He's, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess that's how you get away with it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So it'd just be like, but like actually mouthing fuck, and it was just like, oh my god, that's that's classy, um, and all from like you know, sort of like a three, four year old, you sort of think, oh my goodness, this kid's gonna be trouble when he grows up. We had a we had an incident recently where um, Alice had been reading a book, and there was she, she was trying to talk about something that she'd read in the book that she wasn't particularly happy with. Mm. And it was because it was a rude word. Oh. And we're like, well, what's a rude word? She's like, I can't, I can't say it. I can't say the rude word. It's like, no, look, like you can read it out of the book to us. <laughs> we know you're not saying it. You're just like literally reading the words in the book. It's yeah, fine. Quoting it. And I can't remember what it was. It, might, it was either a shit or a fuck. I can't remember. But <laughs> like the, the kind of like, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this. Like, oh, I really want to oh, be doing this. And it's funny how kids react differently because... I would have I would have relished that at her age. <laughs> yeah. Being told I could say a swear word that I've just found in the book while she was like just aghast at I'm gonna say this word out loud or what's gonna happen. <laughs> Even though we told her like nothing's going to happen. Like we're telling you you can do it. Oh, Still no. apprehensive. 
That's um, so cute. It really is sweet, <laughs> just the different approach. Because, yeah, like, if we'd seen it, it would have been like, oh, my goodness, look what I found in this book. <laughs> yeah, 100%. That's good. Um, we should really wrap this up, though, because it's getting yeah, very it's late like, when you... <laughs> the sun's going to be coming that's, up that's soon. Cool. What do you... Because um, I know that you normally have more of an idea about this. I'm putting you on the spot now. But um, how's it actually doing? Because I know it had a pretty decent uh, opening. Um, but the the problem that Disney have kind of put themselves into this position of if you wait a couple of months, it's going to be on Disney Plus. You don't actually need to go and see it at the cinema. You can you can hang on a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely had an impact on some of their more recent output. Um, I just wondered how this one was going because I don't think you know I I, I really enjoyed Black Panther, um, although. It, is it as good as the first? I don't know. Um, Ant-Man, I didn't think it was particularly good. Uh, Quantumania, I thought it was... I know you guys liked it more than I did. Mm. Um, but that, you know, that underperformed. And I wondered if it was either because there's fatigue or its people are more prepared now to just wait to see it when it hits Disney+. Plus. I get the idea that that happens quite a bit. I've spoken to a couple of people that are just like, yeah, I can't justify going to the cinema to see it, so I'm going to wait till Disney+, Plus because I've got that subscription. And so I think that that's actually not great because – it's something that's designed to be seen on the big screen and not everyone's got a home cinema with the, you know, the sound. And so you're going to get that really immersive experience that this film was designed for. It's like going, oh, actually, I'm going to be catching a flight and I'm pretty sure Qantas have got it showing on their in-flight entertainment. I'm going to catch it there. What? Sorry? What? On that tiny little screen and that really horrible audio? You, you, what? I'm, no. I, I, um, when I flew to, to Montreal last year, cause it's a, it's a decent flight. It's like about seven hours, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm looking through the films. And the thing is, as you guys know, um, I have a, a pass. I pay a monthly subscription mm-hmm. to my local cinema. I can go and see films whenever I want. Yeah. And so I see a lot of films that I want and also sometimes films that I wouldn't have been that bothered to have seen if I was paying full price for it. But if, you know, I'm effectively seeing it for, for, you know, the price of one film that I'm going to go and see it. So quite often when I go on a flight, there's nothing new for me to watch because I've watched all Mm. the stuff that I want to see. But when I flew last year, they had a June on, which I'd somehow missed. Like, I, I planned to go to see it. I never got round to seeing it. I think because it was quite a long film. So I thought, oh, well, it's a long film. I'm on a, I'm on a flight. Why not watch that? Mm. And you're watching this film and you're like, this film was made for IMAX. Yeah, yeah. Why am I watching it on something that makes it look like I'm looking at it on a on the, on the back of a postage stamp or something? Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. it was insane. So <laughs> I, I stopped watching it after about 20 minutes and just thought, this is this is... It's not that it was it was pointless. You, of course, you can watch a film like that, but can you really get what the film is supposed to be watching yeah. it like that? No. Well, that's getting not back, the way to do it. Getting back to your your question about how it's doing uh, box office wise, the um the first week is weekend's obviously really important about how much money they make in that first weekend, mm-hmm. but the second weekend's important in how much the gross drops off from first to second yep. weekend. Um, and this one's only been like a 50% drop off. So it's still holding quite well into the second weekend. Mm. Um, 
but it, it wasn't really uh, until this week. It hasn't really had a lot of competition. Obviously, Minions. Oh, sorry, not Minions. What am I Super about? Mario Brothers. Super Mario <laughs> Brothers. I just thought Elimination <laughs> Minions. Super Mario Brothers uh, has just been doing gangbusters, um, but that's kind of coming to the end of its run. Mm. Uh, then you so you put um, Guardians out there, and they didn't. They had a, like a, a few weeks where it was just clear sailing for them. Mm. Now we've got uh, the the Fast and the Furious or Fast Ten out this week, so that's going to chip in. So I'd say. There'd be a bigger drop this week, but overall, their worldwide gross is uh, five hundred and fifty-five million. So, your half a billion dollars in a couple of weeks isn't isn't too bad. There's nothing to it's, sneeze at. Yeah, it, it's good for Marvel films recently. Mm. Um, I I don't think I, I don't think um, Quantumania did that. No, Quantumania, the, uh, the worldwide was four seventy-five, <laughs> but yeah. Super Mario Brothers um, clocked in at one point two. But you yeah. can imagine, and it's still going on. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, it's kind of dropped off a little bit. So um, last weekend, um, Super Mario's took twelve point six million, and Guardians took sixty two. So for I mean, when did Super Mario Brothers came out? A month Mario ago. Mario came out the the uh, I think it was like the fourth or the fifth of April. Yeah, I thought it was April. Mm. So they're yeah. a month ahead. So it'd be interesting to see. Well, almost, almost two. If you think of it, like it was, it's, it's about oh, yeah. six or seven weeks now. Well, because Mario's been out. Yeah, but like Guardians came out third or fourth of May, so it was yes. a month ahead of Guardians. But the thing is, yeah. with with Mario, it's like it's not like Disney where they're going. Okay, uh, this this movie's going to be on Disney Plus in a month, so mm-hmm. why do I go see it the, the, the cinemas? You don't know where that's going to be streaming, so it's mm. kind of like, oh, I'll just I'll go and see it at the cinemas. And it's got, it's been everyone's just been hanging out for a Mario film for so many years mm. that you know it was just, yeah, it was just had a built-in audience there. Everyone's played a Mario game at some point. In time. Well, and it's also got a wider audience mm. range. Like I'm sure that you would have been very hesitant to introduce even Alice to this movie because not just in terms of the animal cruelty, but the Guardians is a older audience content in my opinion i mean i don't have kids but i don't think i'd be taking sort of that you know six to 12 year old age group to go see it in the cinema because i think there's a lot of violence a lot of filth in there as well no there there absolutely is and i mean any any responsible uh, parent uh would consider <laughs> that absolutely mm. um unfortunately um we let, allowed our daughter to watch all four seasons of Stranger Things last year, and she loved them. <laughs> so I'm obviously an awful, awful parent. Please do not use know, me as any kind of barometer as what you should show your kids. But that's more creepy um, kind of content, but, isn't it? And if your kid can cope with that, then that's fine. But like, I think I, that- I think yeah, I th- I mean that a hundred percent is that, and we we watched that with her mm. saying if it's too much. She went to watch it. She asked us to watch it, and we was a bit apprehensive. We said, "Look, we'll watch it with you. If it gets too scary, it goes off. If mm. you want to hide your face a little bit, you can hide your face a little bit. Whatever you want to do." Mm. But kids are different, and I think, um, you know, I, I definitely think the animal cruelty aspect of this is probably will probably have more of an effect on people than what you often see in other Marvel films, because weirdly we a bit more squeamish or a bit more concerned about animals. I, I, this, I know this is not what we're talking about, but 
I remember when we watched John Wick, the first John Wick film. Oh. And we knew nothing about it. I hadn't seen a trailer for it. I mm. just heard it, it. People say it was really good. So we we uh, watched it when it was hit streaming. And after about 20 minutes, and he's, you know, spoiler alert for a film that's about 10 years old, dog dies. And uh, he, he then turns into a, a, a world-class assassin. <laughs> and at that point, when his dog dies, Lindsay's like, I don't think I can watch this anymore. No. No, Dog's she getting... did, and she loved it, but because we get so attached to, to animals. Mm. So, weirdly, although I think we've seen, in a lot of cases, more uh, violent Marvel films, whether that's a bit more gore, whether that's just by um, like the fight scenes or anything like that, mm. I think the animal cruelty element <laughs> of this film is probably going to, to put some people off. Mm. But the thing is, that the... the I mean, Lewis, you were right about you know Mario and streaming. I mean, I can tell you exactly where it's going. It's going to Peacock because mm. it's owned by Universal. So, of course, it's going to go to Peacock. But the thing is, and we saw this with Top Gun Maverick last year, that film was doing so well at the cinema, Paramount were like, we're not, we're not releasing this digitally. We're not releasing it on Blu-ray. We're not even going to tell you when it's on Paramount+. Plus. Mm. And it took about five or six months before they even released it to, to rent at home, mm. which... Mm from what we've seen in recent years, is insane. But because the film was doing so well at the box office, it just kept running and running. And they were like, well, let's just make the money from it. Whilst Disney, you almost know within 60 days, that film's going to be on Disney+. Plus. That's been the model they themselves have created. Yeah, there is a bit of a formula to it, isn't there? Mario, we don't know. You know, they haven't announced when that will be. But, mm. that you know, Peacock aren't as, as blatant as, you know, we release it here, and then, you know, in exactly six weeks, it's on our streaming service. Mm. It will be on there when they decide it will be on there. But Disney themselves have enforced this 60-day window, which I know they've started to slowly push back on. Uh, I mean, Avatar, for, for the same reason, you know, is only going on there, I think, in June. So that will be about six months after it first hit cinemas. But when you've started to get people used to just wait two months and it will be on your streaming service that you pay for, people aren't going to turn out like they, they used to. Mm. Well, people used you know, to do that even with video to. releases. It's like, well, we know that it'll be out on video in this amount of time, so we'll just wait till it comes out on video. And, you know, watching it on video, you didn't have the same quality of TV as you do these days. Um, one thing that my mind went to was um, AMC. It's one of the bigger chains um, in America. I don't know. Yeah. Is that one that's in uh, the UK as well, or is it? They they are, but not. We don't have AMCs, but we mm -hmm. have Odeon. So okay, are they owned uh, by the chain same? That they own. Okay. That AMC own. So the question that I had was: Do you know whether they have any tie-ins with the studios? Like, does Universal have a stronger tie-in? with um amc because that's one of the things i do actually enjoy about the longer cinema releases where people can go back to the cinema a few times is that you're supporting that industry because that's something that we were really concerned we would see a reduction in cinemas or a um a reduction in the amount of screening so you had less choice and stuff like that post pandemic and by having these you know really promoting these movies as go and see it a few times in the cinemas you've got people attending the cinemas more and getting back into that habit. So I just wondered whether maybe Universal had some sort of tie-in with AMC or one of the bigger chains. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I think they 
I think they do to an extent. And the reason I say that is because I know that AMC, uh, certainly in America, um, often do promotions with Universal. So right now mm. you can get um, the Fast and Furious popcorn bucket, mm-hmm. which is the, the Dodge Charger from that film as a popcorn bucket. Mm. And they had one for Mario, which was the, uh, the question mark uh, block that you get in a Mario game. That was your popcorn bucket. So they definitely do have promotions with Universal for their their more recent films. The chain I go to, I don't think they they do have any kind of uh, affiliation in that way. They sometimes get uh, Disney and Marvel cups and things like that. So I guess it all kind of ties in. There must be like a little bit of a a kickback. Yeah. Um, but I think I mean the thing is, as you say about. Uh, everyone's setup's different right so i know you guys have got a a room that you can go and watch films and the best mm-hmm. way that you can at home um i don't have that but i've got a, a really decent tv and i've got a nice sound bar that gives me like good quality audio mm. some people you know my, my mother-in-law has a 16 uh, year old 720p <laughs> HD TV. Nice. With and just uses the speakers in the TV. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. She still enjoys the films, but it's not, you know, it's 32 inch. You're not enjoying it in the same way that uh you would be at home mm. with a, a Dolby Atmos setup or something. So, you know, for me, going to the cinema is still such a, a kind of important and, and, and big experience for me to go and see films. Mm. Um it's it's absolutely my favourite way. Look, do I do I wish that I could watch them in, in a much easier way? Yeah, of course I would do. But I can't guarantee the quality. So therefore, if I want to see it on the biggest screen with the best sound, then I've got to go to the cinema. And yeah. I'm happy to do that. But yeah, I, I think because of the pandemic, people got used to a little bit of, of, of not doing that, not needing to do that as much. Um, and we are slowly starting to see a return of of people going i mean the success of mario is testament to that you know people were were saying that that, you know if that makes half a billion dollars then you know universal will chalk that up as a win Mm. and it's 1.2 like it's it's done insanely well and the thing is as as lewis alluded to you know guardians has had two weekends of it being like the new big picture fast 10 uh, has just opened. Uh, the week after the Fast 10 opens, we've got uh, The Little Mermaid coming mm. out, which Disney's obviously promoting a, a hell of a lot for. You know, it's, They are hoping that'll be one of their big films this summer. <laughs> mm. um, and then a week after that, there's Spider-Verse. Yeah. We- like, the, the summer season has begun, <laughs> and films are not going to be the hits that you want them to be. We saw Dungeons & Dragons. I absolutely love Dungeons & Dragons. Who, who went to see it? <laughs> that film that film we tapped did. out about four like less than 400 million dollars i think uh yeah that was the thing that kind of like spun me out so you had ant-man and the wasp was at 475 um mm. uh, john wick 426 so not too bad i mean it's a pretty selective audience given the content uh, you know, the amount of violence Again, and stuff like uh, that the, the the age range on that film is, is very much limited yeah. um creed 3 um, that kind of surprised me. That only took two seventy three. Dungeons and Dragons wow. managed to take two oh four, which I mean, is, is that domestic? No, that's worldwide. That really, that yeah. is so disappointing. I really, really 
I mean, my my daughter. This is because of her watching Stranger Things, mm-hmm. then wanting to play Dungeons and Dragons, and now goes to Dungeons and Dragons Club. So we went nice. with some people that she plays Dungeons and Dragons with. She dressed up for the occasion. It was lovely. Um, I really love Dungeons and Dragons, and I, did, I I went in expecting very little, mm. and thought actually it's really smart. It's really well done. I like nearly all the actors in it. I I thought it was a great summer blockbuster, and mm. yet no one's gone to see it. Um, and was it was it yourself, Lewis, that went to see Polite Society recently? Yes, yes, that was really good. Go and look at go and look at the the box office numbers for Polite Society. I think it's made about twenty five dollars. Yeah, it's something like that because I'm scrolling through and I can't even see it in my list for no. this year. Are uh, you serious? Like, two, nothing. Two million. Like it opened. No. Two, two million. Million. Opened for like three weeks in America. Yeah, and that's an oh, awesome wow. film. And even in the UK, now bearing in mind it's a UK film, yeah, it only opened at number nine in the box office the week it came out. What? And I was like, to be fair, I went and saw it on a whim because I'd heard, I, I hadn't seen any trailers, I hadn't seen any posters, I'd just seen some people online talking about, I'd seen this film and I really thought it was great. So I just took a punt on it. But the promotion for it's been dreadful, but... Oh, I, I mean, I nearly didn't go see it because I thought it yeah. looked really... I'm like, polite society, and eh, do I really want to go out and see a movie? Because, I mean, right. life's been pretty busy. And so I nearly didn't. And then I looked at the cast and things. I'm like, going, oh, my goodness, this is going to be so much fun. But I had to look into it. And you shouldn't have to do that. You should just see a poster no. and just go, oh, I'm going to go see that movie. I, I think it's been... I, I think the advertising's been, been pretty bad for it, but... Mm. You know, that is a problem sometimes is you'll go and see films and think, why why are people not seeing this film? It's great. And you'll see another film that you, you know is doing really well and think, well, why is that doing so well? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> I think the takeaway from this this podcast episode is go and see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and also see Polite Society somehow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. It's worth your time. <laughs> but yeah, they, 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 that that's the problem we've got now is that Guardians will start to drop off um, now that Fast 10's out, now Little Mermaid's coming out, now Spider-Man's mm-hmm. coming out. Mm-hmm. So it's probably not going to do much more than it's done now. Like, uh, it, it, Did you say 550? Uh, 550, yeah. yeah. Uh, so okay. just, yeah, just over. So I, I, I reckon it might it might tap out about six. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it's, it's probably going to do much more than that. I, I haven't mean, looked at still releases. Be successful, but, <laughs> yeah. you know. It would be successful, but it's just not what we'd come to yeah. expect from from the Marvel franchises. Do you guys think, because um, the thing is, I normally listen to you guys, and obviously I'm talking to you, but you can't hear me because it's a recorded podcast, <laughs> and I'm just talking <laughs> on another continent. Yeah. Um, but do you think that the shine has come off Marvel in general? And I'm not talking just the films, I'm talking you know, the, the TV shows as well. Do you think that they've they've saturated the market or that because the quality of some of the films hasn't been as high as in previous phases that people are starting to kind of get bored? You know, is, is this a decline for superhero films as a, as a genre? I think it needs a big change up in order to hold people's attention. Um, I think that that's something that they're going to have to navigate but in terms of where I'm at personally, if they put out a Marvel movie, I will continue to go see them until they are until they're not good. 
Yeah, but I, I mean, yeah. I kind of, I want to get excited about the DC universe and there's some elements in there that uh, I'm just like, oh, I really hope this is going to be good and this might be the turnaround. But until they hit that reset button, I think that it's going to continue to be a disappointment. And I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty easygoing movie viewer. <laughs> I'm, I'm not difficult to please in that regard. It's just, um, I, as long as the movie isn't complete ridiculousness, I'm happy to go see it, enjoy it. But, and there's, I don't think there's been any of the Marvel movies I've walked out going, that was absolute trash. Like, definitely should not have made that movie. Even Dark World, like, when I first saw it, I didn't think that it was trash. I recognized that it wasn't as good as the other content that was sitting around it. But it wasn't a dumpster fire. It was just not as good as other movies for that character and for the universe itself. But I do have that feeling that there is going to come a time where people are just like, oh, there's another Marvel movie coming out. And I'm waiting for that fatigue moment. I don't think we've seen it yet. And I think that, you know, taking 550 for Guardians, I think that the fault there is, as we discussed, the knowing that it's going to be coming out and you're going to be able to watch it in your lounge room and not have to worry about, you know, people coughing and spluttering all over you. Um, as I've had with Lewis all morning. (laughs) We, the thing is we grew up and and this is the hard thing to try and explain to people, right? Mm -hmm. Is that when we were younger, so I referenced ET earlier, right? When I saw ET, it came out on video a couple of years later, Mm -hmm. but that film by that point was about six years old. Mm. So unless you, unless they re-released it and you got to see the cinema, you couldn't see E.T. at home. It wasn't being shown on TV. No. You had to watch it on video. Like, films would often take three or four years after they were at the cinema to come on TV. Videos would normally take about a year after they came out of the cinema to be released on video for you to rent or buy. Oh, we used to now, have a one or two year lag on some films going out into the cinemas in Australia. Hmm. Like, it was incredible, yeah. the the lag. Um, I think... Was the example The Little Mermaid, where I'm pretty sure it was a full year later because I was looking at the release dates. I'm like, no, because I was in Australia and saw it in Australia when it got released. And I think it came out in 1989. Would that be correct? So Little Mermaid came out in 89. Yeah. And we, like in the UK, we didn't get it until 90. Yeah. yeah, but I think that might have been down to the the amount of prints that they could get out there, and and so they focus on the bigger markets. Whereas now it's like all digital. It's basically yeah. just they download it and have a code to unlock it, and that's good to, good to go. So um, that's why. Oh get, no, I think yeah. I, I think you're right. I mean, the other thing as well is that they used to time the releases. So sometimes, and they still do. They even do this now to this day, like because of when we have like uh, half terms during the school year. Mm. Sometimes films will be pushed back. Oh, Most yeah. of the time, when a Disney film, not it, it's it's started to not happen, but it was certainly the case for a number of years. Disney would normally release a film around June time, mm-hmm. and then they release a film around Thanksgiving. And what we get is that film wouldn't come out like the summer film wouldn't come out in June. It would come out the third week of July when the school holiday started. Mm. So we'd have to wait like three or four weeks. And that film that came out Thanksgiving would come out nearer to Christmas. So I remember Frozen, we saw Frozen 
just after Christmas. I think it'd been open like two or three weeks at that point. Right. But it'd come out in November in, in the States. So there, there was always like a bit of a delay. Mm. But certainly with uh, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, um, those films, they were all at, l- at the very minimum six months, mm. most of the time a year after. Mm-hmm. Um, I even remember Toy Story coming out in 96. Wow. Um, but it came out in 95. In America. Um, in America. Mm. So... We've always had we've always had some kind of delays, but I, but the, the the more important thing isn't even the cinema releases as, as annoying as that is, mm. but it's the fact that if you didn't see the cinema, you might have to wait a year before you could buy that on on video. Mm. So do you now, think for our age group, it's kind of instilled that it's important to see it in the cinema because we don't know when it's going to be available to watch at home? I definitely think. I definitely think we have a higher tolerance of it. Mm. You know, my when my daughter, my daughter was born the year Frozen came out, and she had that. We had that film of her on DVD, and it would normally just stay in the machine <laughs> uh, most of the time. Just get rewatched and rewatched. Occasionally, she'd want to watch something else, so we'd have to change the disc over for her. But if she wanted to see another film, we didn't own that film. She couldn't watch it. Yeah, and especially when it comes to Disney films, and now. You know, you've got a service. You press if you've got a, a Fire Stick or something. You've got a button that says Disney Plus. You press Disney Plus. You're in the app. You scroll down to the film you want and you press play. It's amazing. You don't have to go and find the DVD in your collection mm. and then spend 20 minutes after you found the case and realised the wrong disc is in there, trying to work out the chain of events that led to where that disc actually is now. <laughs> this is why <laughs> we do not have children. <laughs> DVD cases away. <laughs> Oh no! Do you really have that problem in your household? <laughs> used to, used to. I mean, we don't. We don't now. I mean, we've now got like a, a book of DVDs, mm. like a you know, like a we used to get in a car, like yeah, a, yeah, like yeah. a big version of those, a lot of slots. So all the DVDs are in those. All the oh, boxes cool. are up in the loft. Oh, that's clever. So it just saves a lot of space. But then you've still got to like flick through the book. Oh yeah. You try and put in alphabetical order, but someone puts the wrong disc in the wrong <laughs> It's just amazing. But it's the it's the fact that even if you wanted to watch a film, mm. say you woke up on a Sunday morning and you want to watch a film in bed, how, how are you getting that film? One of you's got to go out and find that film. <laughs> that's Lewis. That's his job. You've got to go to the DVD job. rack or downstairs. <laughs> you've got to find this. You've got to go and put it back in the machine yeah. and switch it on. Now you just turn your TV on. You turn your you know connected device on. You just find the film that you want and it, and it plays mm. in... Full HD, surround sound, Atmos, IMAX ratios. Like, it's it, it's crazy. Like, my daughter does not understand the issue. You put a tape on. It's at the <laughs> end. It's halfway through the film. Yeah. What do you, do? you You can't just, like, go, oh, skip, skip to the beginning. No, you've got to wait for that tape to wind back. Yeah. It sounds like a jet engine taking <laughs> off at Heathrow Airport or something. And it takes all this time to run back. And then you can start watching the film after you've gone through the adverts. So... The, the whole landscape has changed, but there's a whole generation now that thinks all this stuff on demand, mm. instant access, mm-hmm. is just the norm. And yep. we grew up when that wasn't the norm. So I think we do have a different level of respect, not just for cinemas, but also for physical home mm. media. Mm. Uh, I, look, I'm I'm going to tee you up because I know you'll be recording Diz Down Under this weekend. <laughs> and just in case you haven't seen this story. But... Disney Plus have announced a load of content is going. Yeah, yeah. They are taking loads of content 
off that streaming service. Most of it is their own original programming. I mean, even even Jeff Goldblum, that's being taken off. What? So it makes no the sense. The thing is, and I, and I've had this argument for years with my own wife because she hates she hates me buying discs or anything because it takes up room, right? Yeah. Um, but that's all well and good to say, well, we, you know, we'll just stream it, we'll just stream it until it's not there anymore. Exactly. What do you do then? One of my biggest gripes so, that I had with that, and it's completely unrelated to anything Marvel or anything like that, but, um, you know, the movie Chef? Yeah. Um, I watched that a million times and I quite like the soundtrack. The soundtrack is actually pretty cool when you're cooking in the kitchen. So I'd go, hey, Siri, play this, and it was play it and it was good. And quiet by animation <gasps> rhythm. Hey, Siri, stop. <laughs> <laughs> I, was waiting for oh, I never think well. I never ever think and so you know, you'd have the home pod going and away you go I I did that probably I don't know it was probably about six months ago and it came up with some weird soundtrack I'm like what's it playing and it was playing something completely unrelated that had the same title and I'm like what no where what my soundtrack where is it and it's no longer on Apple's streaming service. I'm like, you buggers. I mean, we've got the CD, so that's fine. I can just download it onto the onto the phone somehow. You know, yeah, through if iTunes. Got, if you've got a disk drive still, yeah, I, I do mean, on like, my old clunky you buy a MacBook computer. Nowadays, where's yeah. a disk drive? Yeah, happened with me. I was like, where's a disk drive on this thing? I don't have one. I've got mm. to, I've got to buy another thing to stick it onto. But you're you're right, and I've noticed as well that sometimes you'll find an album. Mm. Um, I use Amazon Music mostly, but mm. I've used Apple as well. But you'll find an album and you'll start listening to it thinking, hang on a second, it skipped a song. And you look at the album. Yeah, it's got a blank certain spot. certain tracks yeah. are available, yeah. but not all there. No. And you're like, well, how's that even <coughs> worked out? Like, I don't understand. But this is it. At the end of the day, while we, and I'm not going to turn this into a big conspiracy, you know, what's happening to physical money, all that kind of, you know, I'm not interested in that. But, you know, we do we've got use in a, in a society where streaming services are king. Everyone's got a streaming service. You can pretty much Five. watch ni- 18, 90% of anything you ever want to watch on a streaming service mm-hmm. while it's there. Mm-hmm. And the day that they decide, actually, we're not going to have this on here anymore. Yeah. You're screwed. Yeah. Because you, where, where do you now find that if you don't actually own a copy of it yourself? This is the thing. So we are kind of like slaved to these streaming services now. Unless very you're a collector like yourself and Lewis, yeah. because that's one thing is that we still go to our local, I guess it's the equivalent of Best Buy, but it's called JB Hi-Fi over here. Yep. And we go down and we buy DVDs, but one of our local ones has now taken out its Blu-ray section or you know DVD section. It no longer stocks that mm. media. And so yeah. we're like, is this just this store? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we're ju- we just decide that we're going to stick with electronics and stuff. And we're like, okay, but will we be seeing that slowly disappearing from the shelves? Will we have to start <laughs> being like under- underground record collectors <laughs> and, you know, trying to get the stuff physically in the media that we want it? But maybe that's what Disney's, maybe that's what Disney's doing is we're going to take this stuff off Disney Plus. And then in a year's time, in two years' time, we're going to release this as physical media on Blu-ray or or uh, H, uh, the uh, 4K. So mm. maybe that's what they're doing just to, to bring back that revenue stream. It's possible. I mean, the 
I mean, so I would still buy films because that was the only way you could watch stuff in 3D was if you bought the 3D Blu-ray discs, right? Mm -hmm. And now, and even those, like a lot of those (laughs) films that they might have given a cinema release to in 3D, they've not bothered to release on a physical media anymore because people generally don't have 3D TVs. I've still got mine, but, you know, a lot of people... They expect, I think, to have upgraded to a 4K or an 8K by now that doesn't do it. Mm. Um, so that was a reason why I, I was still quite uh, buying quite a lot of physical media. Um, but I do think we're we're like that, and it, it's it's similar to to vinyl. We mm-hmm. had it with vinyl. Mm-hmm. You know, when we were growing up, everyone had bought vinyl records. Then they became and cassettes, and then they became CDs mm. uh, for a very brief period of time. We had mini discs, but you know that that kind of did its own thing. Yeah, yeah. But you know. <laughs> It was all that thing, and you didn't see records anywhere other than, you know, charity shops yeah. or uh, you know, goodwill places because people didn't want records anymore. And now, my daughter's queuing up at five o'clock in the morning on record store day to buy a bluey picture disc, two vinyl collectors set, and a Taylor Swift <laughs> album <laughs> that cost that cost like three times as much as it would have done if it was on CD, but yeah. it's on vinyl and it sounds shit, but <laughs> at least it looks big and you can play it traditionally. But do you know what I mean? Like we, we've kind of gone in this cycle now where mm. the, 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 the media that had been wiped out because it had been, um, you know, replaced with something of arguably better, superior, cheaper quality mm. um, is now back in vogue. People are now going back to that. So I do think that there will come a time when that will probably happen again. Um, I don't know when, how long that will be, but yeah. I think within the next decade or so, I do think there'll be a sudden return to physical media, possibly because by that point we've, we've all got 8K TVs and you need 8K discs to get mm. the best quality, <laughs> and, you know, all this kind of nonsense. But I think there'll always be a market for it, especially if streaming services continue to... And Disney Plus aren't the only company that are doing it, but I think the the weird thing with them is it's content they have made mm-hmm. that's being taken off. You know, at least with Netflix, although they love to cancel the shows that you've just got into after like a single season, <laughs> yeah. if they've made it, they generally keep it on there. Yeah, I think that that is something that I'm actually quite curious as to what the reasoning behind taking the content off with Disney is because, like you said, once it's done, just leave it there. Leave it available for people to see. There must be some grander plan afoot, I reckon. Well, who, who's who's to say for sure? <laughs> um, but it's interesting because you say about um, being able to stream things with the same quality as what you can get on disc. And in Australia, we have a terrible, terrible um, network in terms of our internet and so um, they tried to upgrade us all to this thing called the NBN, the National Broadband Network. And um, unfortunately, they did it where you didn't have fibre to the premises. You often had fibre to the node. And the node could be um, – it was supposed to be within a certain distance of the house, but often it ended up being, you know, sort of half a kilometre away. So you had <laughs> – a lovely little um, copper connection that would then slow everything down. So for us, we do actually notice a big difference between putting in a particularly 4K disc, but also with the, even just like a regular um, a regular Blu-ray upstairs, the difference in the audio is quite dramatic from what we can stream. So I think I'm surprised that we're seeing such a um, – 
reduction in people purchasing the the physical media in Australia because you just don't get that same sound quality through our standard internet connections for the most part of the population anyway. Mm. Yeah. But we've, we've yeah, seemed to have tangented very far away from <laughs> <laughs> guys of the galaxy. Um, it's a big galaxy. Yes. and Satellites. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, uh, Space. And it's definitely, definitely I think, uh, way, way past Nick's bedtime. So uh, I, think, <laughs> I think we should probably wrap up here, let you get some sleep so you're not, uh, you know, sleep-deprived, like, hangover tomorrow. <laughs> I'm seeing I'm seeing Fast X in about eight hours. Oh, oh sweet. Should, yeah, yeah, we should go and get some sleep, actually. That's a long uh, film as well. <laughs> You'll be right. But th- thank you very much for, for joining us, uh, uh, Nick Roberts. Now, uh, you did mention Walking Movies. Is there any other podcast that you're appearing on at the moment that we can uh, plug? Uh, apparently, apparently, my daughter is doing a podcast again. Oh, so lovely. So there might be some... Alice's, Alice's magical podcast. I do like um, that one. Yeah, it's fun. She gets to yeah. take the piss out of me for thirty minutes. It's <laughs> up to an hour. It's, it's great. Um, should be some more Branch and Ripley. Um, I'm still doing uh, Disneyland Paris podcast. Apparently, we haven't recorded it yet, but we're supposed to record that next week. So fingers crossed. Very cool. Um, but uh, no. Uh, if you want to hear me on other stuff, there was a tangent city last year. Go listen to me on that. <laughs> <laughs> Very. Go cool. listen to this. This stuff. Oh, and 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 also, and I, I mean, this is obviously more relevant to uh, your local audience, but globally, I think it's it's starting to take over. Colin from accounts. Yes, uh, everyone ah. should watch Colin from accounts. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that series. we um we sort of went, oh, do we watch it? Do we not watch it? And it was something that we binged quite quickly. I think we knocked it out in a weekend, didn't mm. we? It's just very, very watchable and very, very – it's something that I haven't found someone that I can't recommend it to. Although I probably wouldn't yeah. have recommended it to us with the whole, like, you know, dog loss kind of vibes <laughs> a week ago. Weirdly, mm-hmm. weirdly, because I, I heard you guys talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, because you hear calling from accounts, mm-hmm. you assume – you automatic. I don't care who you are, you automatically assume it's about – Someone who's a bit of a nerd in an office, yeah, yeah, uh, in the accounts department. Now, that's exactly what you think the show's yeah. going to be. So when the show starts off in the way that it does, I was like, I watched that first episode, and I said to my wife, "I watched this show last night. I think you might like it." I said, "But let me watch a few more episodes because I don't know where this is going, <laughs> and I'm not prepared to recommend it to you until I know where it's going." Yeah. So, and I, and I mean, it, it's fine, mm. but. Yes, it's a you bit know, touch if and you go. Are animal sensitive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it starts off, but it, it's it's okay. It's fine. Um, but yeah, like I I watched it in a, in a, a, over about three or four nights. Mm. Um, really, really watchable. Um, a good level of humor. It's one again. It's one of those things where sometimes when it's something localized, so mm. you know, this accounts for American stuff as well. When it comes to comedy, sometimes it doesn't translate that well. Sometimes. It might be hysterical for an American audience, but it's it's barely more than a titter to anyone else. Yeah. Um, I think this gets the balance like really well uh, contained, and also I think uh, you know it's not co- just a comedy. Like there, there's some drama elements in, in it as well. I think it's it, it wasn't what I was expecting, and I and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So uh, yeah, 
Yeah, I think any show that's got um, is about relationships、mm. um, and how you interact with people and the relationships that you develop with them over time. You're know, like、um, parental relationships and that kind of thing. I think that、um, it's always interesting to people, but it's it gives it a lot of heart. And、um, if we bring it back to Guardians, I think that that's probably. What gives that so much heart is that they create this family, and you follow this family through space and and through a, you know some heartbreak and things like that, and it's it's tugs at the old heartstrings. That's that's what、uh, that's what also gives Fast and the Furious.、Um, oh my it's, it's, gosh! It's all, it's all about family. Family. Here's me trying to wrap this crap up. <laughs> but but I think that's it. I think the the reason why to end for me to end on Guardians,、mm-hmm. the reason why. It works so well that the trilogy works so well is because you are rooting for them.、Mm-hmm. There's things that you might not agree with the, with the characters that they they do from time to time, but overall you are rooting for them. You want them to succeed. You want them to、um, all do well and to to be happy and to live. And I think that's the thing that you get by the end of the film. As I said, I got upset at the end of the film knowing that this was the last time we was going to see this as it was,、mm. but. The simple fact that you've come on such a lovely journey—it's like it's like a good breakup,、mm, right?、Mm. Like sometimes you know,、yeah. like it's the right a breakup's the right thing to do. You can be sad about a breakup, but you can also reflect on the good stuff that came out of that as well.、Mm. And that's what I think they now with Guardians—you get the sadness that this is the end, but fuck, it's been great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was such a great journey. Yeah, <laughs> it was worth it. Well, that well, thank you very much, Nick. We、really、appreciate you joining us for this conversation. I hope you get some sleep in and enjoy Fast X. If you want to hear、I、more, probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to hear more of、uh, Catherine and myself, you can catch us on、uh, Diz Down Under every week. Catherine, I must be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> every week we we drop that、uh, drop that bomb. Uh, and uh, if you want to listen to more about movie stuff, you can listen to me and my co-host Cecilia and Rachel on Unscripted the Film Show, which is live every Thursday night on Radio Fremantle one hundred and seven point nine. FM, the top station on your dial. Only if you happen to be in Perth. Yeah, yeah. Does that anywhere it up, else? Not work. <laughs>、yeah. um, and also on the the podcast network as well.、Uh, but yeah, thank you very much for joining us. We'll catch you all next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by the gentlemen of pop culture.